Did you know you are my favorite behind the browser in the whole wide world? You are. It's true. It's your girl, Keisha. I'm back rocking with you for another week with another writer who's going to tell us how they're being successful in the writing world. Before we get to that, I'm going to tell you how I'm being successful or close to it. Um, I haven't did anything extra with my chunks of 20. I still have 19 to go. Remember I told you I finished the last chunk, but I did get a really cool rejection letter from McSweeney's this week. And so I'm like pumped about that. Like, you know, I've been obsessed with them. I've been trying to get in McSweeney's since like 2011. Um, but this time the editor said he liked it and he told me what he thought was wrong with it. So I'm like, hmm, is that an invitation to resubmit it? I'm not sure. Might try it. I don't know, but you know, that was cool. So I hope you had some successes this week. You know, as writers, we got to take these little things where we can get them because they're few and far between. Um, and that's okay. The Today's guest actually knows about rejection and persistence and landing those coveted clips that to you, you know, whether it's a mainstream or not, uh, something that a place where you want to be published in. Cherise Tracy is an essayist. She's been in the New York Times. She's been on Salon. She's in Yahoo. She's in the Los Angeles Review. You're, you're going to hear all about that during this show. Uh, so sit back, relax, turn your earbuds up, and let's go behind the pros. <laughs> Today on Behind the Pros, we are talking to Sharice Tracy. And I just want to read you Sharice's bio from Salon. Like, usually I start with, how did you know you want to be a writer? But Sharice is doing it right now, and I'm going to let her bio speak to that. And then we're just going to jump right in and figure out how she's doing it. Sharice Tracy is an Army wife, mother of four, writer, and educator, her work has appeared in the Los Angeles Review and at the New York Times, Essence, Ebony, She Knows, and Exo Jane, and is forthcoming, which now is actually out at Yahoo, the Washington Post, and Dame Magazine. Okay, She's currently working on a memoir. So applause for you, Cherise. Congratulations on everything. Thank you very much. That sounds kind of crazy, right? <laughs> it's, it, the bio's a beast right now, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, it, it's it's a little unbelievable. And and so what I'm really interested in talking with you about um, to start off with is I know that you went to the new school as well. You have an MFA. Is, you're nonfiction too, right? Yes. All right. That's not the official <laughs> woot woot, y'all. We just kind of just made that up. But if they want to adopt it, <laughs> so um and actually, which the when we talked before the interview, um you 
brought to my attention that on the last day of um, it was the, the at the end of every year they do a reading for the graduating and and some people in the graduating class can read and I read a piece and we met actually at that reading and that was going to be the it was the semester before your first semester at the new school I was reading right. and you were coming in right right. And I remembered mm-hmm. you from that, and it, it just, I don't know, it just, I remember, like, I don't know, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, my goodness, and I remembered parts of your piece, and I thought how ironic, you know, to be doing this interview with you now, because um, I, I remembered it, and, I, and I, I, I couldn't recite it, but, I mean, I remember how it spoke to me, um, and, I, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to do that. You know, should I be lucky enough to finish this program, I'm not going to stand up there and read anything, you know, but I remembered um, – I remembered the piece, and uh, and I just thought how ironic, you know, to be having this interview and how lucky, and um, hopefully I won't say anything stupid. <laughs> well, no, I say stupid things all the time. It's kind of a tradition here, so let's feel free. Um, but, no, <laughs> I think that's awesome. And, I mean, and just in general, like it's people's life paths, I guess, if you, you know, came to the new school, obviously, you well, know, maybe I'm judging. I think you you came to the new school with a, you know, a mission, like a reason why you wanted to to be there to better your writing skills. Why did you go choose the new school or choose um let's separate that. Why did you choose an MFA? Um, you know, because I really wanted to I mean, I had been writing for a couple of years, so let me just put that out there. I had attended um Gotham. You know, I well, I was attending Gotham's writers workshop online. Um, for a number of years, and it was my mentor there who recommended that I pursue an MFA. Um, And because we were stationed at West Point at the time, it just made sense to apply for programs that were, you know, closer. I mean, it wasn't necessarily close, but it was closer to apply for a few programs in the city. And the new school at that time was ranked number three, I think, by Poets and Writers for for nonfiction. So let me just let me just be honest with you and say that I didn't know that I didn't think I really had much of a chance at getting in, um, just with with you know competition being what it is for uh, MFAs. But um, it, it was just meant for me to get in. You know, I, I mean, I, I certainly, uh, I mean, I wrote the best uh, uh, sample writing sample that I could, and um, I mean, I, I did have some strong work. It's not that I didn't. Uh, put everything that I had in it, but I mean, I had just been, I had it in my head that, you know, there's so many other talented writers out there in New York. I mean, it's New York, for goodness sake. Um, but it was my time, and I and I was admitted, and I it was just, it, I'm just still, I mean, it's still hard for me to believe that I have an, have an MFA from the new school. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was really my, my mentor, Kyle Miner, at the time, who was teaching at um, Gotham that encouraged that and if, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have pursued it. Mm. And so prior to starting the new school, you had been doing the Gotham workshops, but had you published or pitched anything at that no, during I that period? Not. No, I had not. Um, and, and I really started writing out of, I know a lot of people will say this, but it's my truth, you know, I started writing out of being unemployed and um, and then just, you know, uh, wanting a position, not getting a position, and then I had said, you know what, if I don't get this full-time job, I'm going to write my story, and that that came from 
being, uh, you know, I had talked a little bit about different things that had happened to me as an undergrad, doing, you know, little essays and whatnot, and having people always just, man, you have a story, you should write it. Have you ever thought about writing it? Um, and always talking about my story in a fiction sense, never telling people what I was, you know, the story I was saying, uh, talking about was of, of myself, speaking of myself. And, um, and so I had it in me, and I wanted to really write the story for my daughter and um, because she just doesn't know the me that I write about in my book. And I really thought it was important for her to know that person because that's not the mommy that she knows. And that's really where the book uh, came from. And it was it was um, through wanting her to know about that person who ultimately became her mommy um, is where uh, the book, you know, started. So that's kind of where the journey began, and that's what led me to Gotham um, when I was no longer um, working. And that's kind of what birthed this whole thing. And, and most of the material, uh, well, a lot of the material I've been uh, fortunate enough to publish, she can read. She's nine. But the, but the majority of the material in my book she would not be able to read until she's a little bit older, like the salon piece, for example. You know, she wouldn't be able to read that until she was older. So you're in the new school, and I know that you studied as well with a Susan Shapiro. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so was she the impetus for um, pushing you to, to pitch um, and submit, or um, or what? How did that happen? Well, you know, I um, I met Sue um, during one of the uh, Saturday workshops that um, I I don't know if they still have those, but you know, I met her. Um, you know, of course, heard about Sue because she's so popular, and I was just I didn't get into one of her workshops in the first um, semester, and I was just like, there's no way in the world I'm not going to get into this workshop during the second, and I got in. And um, I think it was during uh, one of the humiliation essay um, that she's known for. She had given that assignment, and we were talking about something that I could write about it. I don't know what it is that I told her I wanted to write about, but she was just like, "Well, you know, do you have um, something else?" And I told her about this, you know, this story um, about my father um, walking me down the aisle after, you know, after he had raped me, and or something, you know, I, something to that effect. And she was just like, what? You know, I mean, she just was floored by what I was saying to her, and she was like, well, can you write about that? And I said, I absolutely can. Um, and so that's kind of how it started with, with Sue and I, and I continued in her classes, and I just was fascinated by her and her classes and just what she was able to bring out of her students when they were ready. She doesn't push you. Um, she's just, you know, if you have it and you're ready, then she's just able to bring it out of you in a way that I've never seen. And um, I'm just in awe of her. So that's mm -hmm. kind of how I started um, with her, and I continue to take her her workshops. And um, just what she's able to do with you in, in you know, in a three-page essay and beyond is just, um, it's just unbelievable. So going to the new school and meeting her has just really um, – it, it's really had an, a serious uh, impact on my life, really has. Mm -hmm. And so when did you, I guess, start pitching, and then when did you land your first clip? Um, I actually started pitching. My first piece was published, well, I wrote a couple of things. Um, I, I don't know that you'd really count those. So, Okay, my first published piece was with Babel, 
and mm-hmm. um, and it was actually about doing my daughter's hair or the difficulty that I have in doing my daughter's hair. So it was kind of like a funny piece, um, and that was in 2012, late 2012. Um, and I, I don't I don't know if that was the first piece that I pitched, but it was one of the earlier ones. I had been submitting to journals. I actually forgot about that. So I had been submitting to literary journals prior to going to the new school and not having um, any luck with those. And then, um, well, actually, I had the interest of a of an editor at um, at one of the journals, but I had not yet been published. That took some some years for that to finally happen with the Los Angeles Review, and I absolutely love that journal. But my first um, successful pitch, I'll say, was with um, with Babel um, in 2012. So after that, uh, the next one was a couple of months later, and. You know, I can't really say. Um, it, it just seems like once once I got one, then it just made it easier, not necessarily to get uh, a published piece, but to keep pitching. I just, I, I just, I don't know. I get excited with pitching, and then um, there's just something about it. I don't know what it is, but I really do like to pitch. And I also, um, I, I'm a big, per- I, I follow up, you know, with the editors and. Um, to me, that's been the key, I think, because editors are busy, and I just I know this, so I'm just always one to to follow up, and then it just kind of depends on you know how long, whether it's two weeks or a month or what have you. But I find that when I follow up with an editor, um, whether they take my whether they take my piece or not, they always appreciate that. So I think that's why I've had um, some of the luck that I've had. Mm-hmm with having my pieces published because I because I follow up and I'm mindful of what they're doing and um and just you know like they say don't take it personal when the piece doesn't work because if it doesn't work this time for them it might the next time you know another another piece or the same piece Mhm Um so let's make sure we're clarifying a little terms uh some terms for um for people who are listening so we oh, use the term no, that's okay. You use the term pitch in a couple of ways, you know, when you're in the industry. And it can mean either you're sending an idea, you know, and maybe a paragraph or so, or, you know, pitching an idea for a magazine article or an essay. Um, but then when we say it, I think we mean, essays probably mean that we're sending a entire essay as a pitch. But, right. you know, so what do you mean when you say pitch? Well, for me, um, I think when you're a younger writer, and younger meaning, you know, that doesn't mean um, your numerical age, just in the business, that you normally have to send an entire an entire essay, you know, an, an entire piece of writing when they don't know you or they don't know your work. Um, I think once you've established yourself, you know, you might be able to send a pitch, which is an idea of what you might want to write, but uh, in the beginning, you normally have to show them a good sample of your work. If it's not the entire work, then at least you know a portion of it, so that they have that they know what it is that you're capable of. So um, for me, I, I was sending the entire essay of mm-hmm. you know what I wanted them to publish or potentially publish. So that's what um, that's what I was referring to when I was talking about my pitch. Now, so in your cover letter. I'm sorry? 
In your cover letters, do you follow a specific form or like what's your general approach? No, um, no, because I'm really because well, one of the things that um, you know I would I learned in Sue's class is just I would really you know there's a lot of research to uh, to writing um, essays. I don't know if people understand that. You know, there's a lot of uh, getting to know the publication that you want to write for, getting to know the editor that you want to write for, that you want to pitch. It's not just this, you know, throwing it out there uh, type of it. It's really a lot of research, or at least it, it is. Um, it has been for me. And so um, so you're reading their work, you know, if they're, if they're um, publishing, um, and and you're getting to know um you know you 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 know a lot about them or not necessarily not like you're stalking them but i mean you know you're taking a general interest um this is some place maybe that you want to build a person that you want to build a relationship with or a publication you want to build a relationship with so you know it's taking that time first and then um there to me there's no one general pitch cover letter you know everything is tailored to whom you're sending it to whomever you're sending it to so for me personally that takes some time as well um and and then again like i said you you know you keep track and and then you're you're following up um so i've never i've never written the same pitch letter or cover letter you know to I've never not even the same one to the same editor you know because it's all tailored to that to that person um, hopefully that answers your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I know I've heard Sue say that one of the things she recommends for people is to compliment the um, the editor. You know, I loved your piece and this or that. If you know you've seen it and you loved it, blah, 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 whatever. And I've right. always felt that, like, I don't, I'll don't, research a publication and I'll research, like, a column or, you know, research the style. Okay, how, what type of things do they publish? And I might, you know, say something about the column. But I've I've always found it difficult to... Um, compliment the editor unless if it's something outside of what they're doing with a column because I for me I feel like they, they'll be like oh this person's just trying to butter me up um, right how do you strike that balance well and, and see and I'm glad you said that because I'm I'm going to be genuine you know and so I, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to say that I love something if I don't love it. I mean, people just overuse, just like the term amazing. You know, everything is amazing, <laughs> and it's not. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's just like in life, you know, you can find a way to uh, be honest, you know what I mean, or, or compliment um, without being um, – you know, without just being disingenuous, you know what I mean? Like without being, um, I hope I didn't just make up a word there. You know, I mean, if you're if you're trying to get published um, in a publication, chances are you read the publication or, or you would hope, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason that you're seeking out that particular publication. I, I would hope that you're not just trying to be published anywhere. So, there's a reason that you've sought that publication out, you've sought that editor out or whatever. And so there's, if, if, if you just read something, then, you know, what was it about that piece that, you know, that made you want to submit to that particular literary journal or what about that particular essay, you know, still sits with you or something. There's, there's something there that you can bring up in that cover letter, in that pitch. And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But, again, just speaking to the, the just 
the generic kind of cover letter where you're kind of saying the same thing to everyone. No, I don't really necessarily think that that's the way to go, and that's not something um, that I do. Like I like I just said, I don't send the same cover letter to everyone, you know. So, um, but I do think that there's a way that you can always find something positive in whoever you're talking to or writing to, and um, and then that way, you know, I think that the editors or whomever, I think that they can sense that too, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would I would never want anyone to, to get an email from me and say, you know, oh, it's just her again. Oh, she's just saying the same thing again. You know what I mean? Or oh, she said mm-hmm. that last month. Or I would never want um, anyone to feel that way about anything that they've received from me. So, mm-hmm. you know, but that's just, that's just my spin on it. Um, a few months ago, I had talked to Cameron Conaway. He's a author, memoirist, poet. And he, um, we were talking about, I think, his piece that got on the Huffington Post. And they have a, a form submission um, sheet, you know, where you paste in your article. And uh, so I was talking to him about if, how does he actually get um, I mean, there's all different techniques for getting editors' email addresses and stuff like that, or just sending to a generic one. And I know Sue recommends researching and trying to find the actual editor's email address, even though, right. um, you know, we might look at a submissions guideline that says, oh, send to submissions at blah, blah, blah. What do you do? Right. Or, um, you know, I think I think I've I think I've probably tried everything. <laughs> you know, maybe a little bit of everything. Um, I think in the beginning, uh, let's see, I started like in two at the end of I don't know a couple I don't know how long it's been, but I think in the beginning, um, I used to okay. For example, like in the beginning when I first would try to pitch, you know, Ebony, and I and I'm a subscriber to Ebony Magazine. You know, so I would look in the back of Ebony Magazine or in the front or whatever it was. This is when you were still doing the snail mail, you know, type submissions mm-hmm. um, and send it that way. Um, or, it, of course, and nothing ever happened. Um, or uh, then I would Google, you know, trying to get an address or trying to get an editor's email or something like that. Um, but then this is when I think, you know, once you are become a professional writer and then you start taking the classes then you join organizations like, you know, um, participate in organizations like Media Bistro or, you know, different things like that, and then you you learn and you find out, okay, what is the proper way to seek out um, editors, um, how to contact editors the proper way. Um, mm-hmm. So I have, I, I have done, you know, I think I've done it every kind of way, um, but I think that you're going to get the best response when, um, you're doing it the way that, you know, the editors actually suggest, and that's when you attend the workshops, when you attend the conferences, um, when they uh, put their information. Some places, like, example, for example, Yahoo, you know, I just published those pieces with Yahoo, and someone um, emailed me and asked me how could they submit their work to Yahoo. The Yahoo will put their um, email at the end of a lot of the pieces that they publish. You know, they're looking for, mm-hmm. they're looking for ideas they'll just put the email right there. And so to me, again, it goes back to really studying and being interested in the particular place that you want to be published at because a lot of times the information is there. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I mean, I find that if, if you're really, if you're really um, 
if you're in the if you're in the if you're in the business, um, you're you just kind of find it. You know what I mean? You just kind of find it. Maybe just not anyone off the street just deciding today. Okay, well I want to write and submit it to you know whatever publication. But I think if you're if you're serious and you're in the industry, um, you're gonna you're gonna figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your sense. first clip, yeah, it makes sense. First clip was in Babbel, and Babbel is an entertainment news and lifestyle site for moms. Um, yes. What was the um, next clip that you landed, if you remember? Um, after. Mm-hmm. It's funny because this is the kind of stuff that you think that you'll never forget. You think you can just you'll just remember it forever. <laughs> I want I know and that I ooh, I want to say after Babel that it was the New York Times. Mm. Um, yeah, is that I want to say the um the military. Wait, I, I think I read that one. You wrote about um your the, going the workshop to experience. Yeah, yeah. I I want to say that, I want to say that that was the next one. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm in my head now trying to think, and maybe I shouldn't stay there too long. But I'm pretty sure it was a military mom goes back to school um, for the mother load. Okay, I actually yeah. have that one up. That um, it has a dateline for of March 10th, 2013, at least for the web. Okay. Um, yes. That's it. And it appeared in the mother load column. And I love the opening um, of this piece you write. On my first day of school, I cried. Mommy, what if they're all smarter than me? I wasn't a first grader. I was a 40-year-old Army wife, a mother of four, and a new student. Yep. <laughs> tell, yes. Now, um, tell me about pitching, um, researching Motherload and pitching to the New York Times and, and the I guess even before that, what's the origin of this particular piece? Well, you know, um, I, I think okay. I had I had. I'm trying to think if I had already been pitching New York Times because I think um, at that time we had had a few visitors in Sue's class. Um, that's. I'm trying to think of um, the name of the column now. My brain is just not functioning. Well. What made me interested in the New York Times motherload was uh, another writer, Doreen Oliver, had um, written a story about, um, oh, my gosh, I think it was called What Color Is Your Princess or something to that effect. And Mm -hmm. she had published uh, in the motherload, and her piece was just, oh, my gosh, it just was beautiful. Um, And so that's really how I became familiar with the the motherload. And... I, I just I had all of these experiences, you know, being a mom and then being uh, a mom now of you know what I like to call two sets of children, just because of the age, you know, difference, and then having this experience of going back to school and having it, being not the oldest, but being one of the older. Um, students and just feeling I don't I don't know just feeling you know so out of place and not really expecting that because I am also you know I'm an educator I had worked in student services for 10 years more than 10 years 
and just having so many just different feelings that I just did not expect. But being a, a new writer, a young writer, um, I just I was just overwhelmed by a lot of different emotions and feelings and experiences that I just didn't I just didn't see coming. So when I had that particular experience in that class, um, I didn't know what to do with it, and the only thing I could do was write it. You know, mm-hmm. that was that was that was the only thing I could do was write it. So and um, let's, let's yeah, actually ahead, talk about the, the that's okay. Let's actually talk about the writing of it because um, yeah. I want to know how you approach drafting um, and revising and editing. And we talked a little bit before um, this uh, taping, and I want to get back to some of those ideas. So let's at this time. Mm -hmm. I was saying, go ahead. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Um, We're not in the studio together, y'all. Like, she's at her house, and I'm at mine, so I can't see. (laughs) Reminder, this is behind the pros. It's a virtual studio. Um, okay, so uh, what is your what was your draft what was your drafting and revising process like at that point in time? This is around March 2013. Um, so I, it was it was a little bit like what I was doing right now when I was talking to you. So I apologize to that. So what happens is I, I'm very emotional. So I I get all of that out first, you know get all the emotions out or or put them, you know, get them all down and then decide, you know, after reading the mother load over and over and over, you know, how can I get this down to the amount of space that's allowed? Um, So I don't remember how many drafts I did. I probably did maybe two or three. And then um, I think with that particular piece, I worked with um, an editor, um, because that was my issue. I think the piece was too long, and I needed to cut it down. And I was not mm-hmm. at that at that particular time. I I, I was I couldn't I, I could not be the writer and the editor on that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mean prior to pitching it, you uh, hired a like a we'll call it in the industry we'll call it like a ghost editor, someone who prior, acts prior, in proxy. Mm-hmm. Right. I believe I believe prior to pitching it. That I yes, I think I hired someone and worked with someone on getting it down to half of what I originally had drafted because I think mm-hmm. I tried to and I don't think that I um, was able to if my memory mm-hmm. serves yes, um, and yeah, I'm I'm just I'm sorry I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to if, if that was the piece but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that that's what I had. Um, that's what I ultimately did with that piece because there was so there was so much and there was so much raw emotion and I needed to get it down like with the emotion but to the you know to the bare necessities of what it was going to take to convey what needed to be in there and at the same time in the space because mm-hmm. mother load you don't a lot of time you don't have a lot of wiggle room you know you have to kind of get in make your point and get out it's mm-hmm. not like um, some other publications where you might have fifteen hundred words or you know. That's you don't have that there, so um, so yes. And so, actually, and, working with an editor is um, one of the things that Susan Shapiro suggests to people, um, and she'll pass along the information of people that she's worked with um, on her books and stuff. What was right. your experience like um, taking some of your drafts? Um, was it was it over the 
Well, first of all, it was like email, was it in person? What was that editing process like um, working with the person on that? Um, it was it was all over it was it was e- email. I've never worked in person with um, with any editor, um, and you know that I think if I'm recalling correctly, that again was uh, the first time, and I just really lucked out because the person was able to, you know, because of their experience, they knew they knew what it is that I needed, and so they were able to you know they were able to to pull that out and and. Um, and we were able to get it done pretty quickly. And I've been very fortunate, whether the editor has been someone that I've sought out, because I've only worked with very few, and um, whether it's someone that I've sought out or whether it's been, you know, an editor at um, a particular publication, um, you know, I've had I've had very good luck with editors. And then I've had some editors um, that have not touched, you know, my work at all. It's, it's just It's just been fine and it's been published you know, as is, um, because I was very naive when I first started writing as to what an editor, you know, what they did, because I thought going in that, um, you know, you basically submitted your work and that the editors kind of fixed it, you know, if you will. Um, But then I learned um, Gotham, or it might have been at at the new school, you know, okay, well, really, you need to to have, your work needs to be flawless. Um, And um, you can't really rely on editors, you know, and so I've kind of had like a mixed kind of experience with different editors because sometimes that is the case. Sometimes, you know, you you cannot submit something that's not absolutely perfect because they don't have the time to to um, to go in and quote-unquote fix your work. Um, they don't have time to do the heavy lifting. They have so many writers submitting to them. They just, they don't, they can't. Um, but then, you know, you might luck up and have a younger um, editor who um, really wants to get a piece or really work on a piece, and they might have a little bit of time and they might be really willing to work with you, but that's just, that's just not something that you can count on. So um, I've just been really, really fortunate, but that the, the few editors that I have worked with, that they've been able to work with me and maintain my voice, which is very important. But the pieces that I've had the most success with lately, those have been uh, – my voice and um mostly not edited um at all you know they mm-hmm. they've mainly been uh my voice which is really comforting to me um that they've done so well and so voice. during the last few years you have you transitioned as you just said from working with the ghost editor to you know so, doing it um as you said solely in your voice but there's a before we move on to the latter part of that which i shouted out in the publication shout out section of the first behind the pros email um i want to talk to you about um a little bit more about the editor because right in general i think writers all writers need someone to look at something, right? Because you can't necessarily see what's happening, what's working, and whether that is a bunch of editors in the form of a writing group, because that's what they're doing, right? You bring them your stuff and they tell you what they think. That's a form of editing. Um, uh, Whether it's informal like that or a formal relationship where you pay someone. And do you think that the formal relationship part where a writer seeks out um, someone to pay, you know, to look at their stuff, is more stigmatized um, or has maybe a 
has is more stigmatized than per se taking yourself to a writing group and why do you think that is if so um you know what i don't really think so um i think I mean, I think I think honestly, anything that you can do. Number one, I think writing groups are are not, are essential, and um, mm-hmm. I think writers you you have to have um, number one, you have to have support, and wherever you're going to get that support, um, you know, wherever you can find that support, I should say, um, you know, you need to. And writing and writing groups are are good. Um, I would always want to be a part of a writing group, and I and I had a lot of trouble, um, like when we moved, for example, because I wasn't a part of a writing group, and I really I really needed that, which is another reason why I was working more so with editors because I didn't have that. But I think an editor, when they're working solely with you on your piece alone, you know, as opposed to in a writing group, you know, you're offering you're offering feedback, you're getting feedback. Um, from your um, from your group, and then there's you know a lot of different pieces going around. It's just a different kind of. It's just it's different. But when you're writing, mm-hmm. when you're working solely with an editor on on a specific piece, maybe for a, for a certain publication or what have you, um, and it's, it's you have this professional relationship, you have this goal in mind, and it's just to me, it's it's very productive um, that way. And and I just um, I don't know for for me personally. I mean, I was really glad that it was something. I mean, I was. I'm really glad that Sue, um, you know, taught us that and uh, introduced us to that in her class because I don't know that it's something I would have come up with on my own and something, you know, people I would have sought out um, editors in that way um, because they. That's you know, a lot of them if they're if they're writing or they've written or they've worked at publications, they kind of know and they kind of have that that clear vision that you might not have because you are the you are the author of the piece and they can just come in um with a different perspective so and they a lot of times they know what it is that you're trying to say um and and they can just get to it you know um i don't i don't really know how else to articulate it but uh there should not be a stigma if there is for either you know whatever whatever it is that you need to get that out, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of that simple. Um, um, and to get it, to get it out, do you um, set a certain number? Because again, and I mean, I just read a few of the places that you've published, but we'll put the link to your um, site that has all of your publications and links to them. I mean. <laughs> So I think you have, it says here, 31 stories that are linked just on this site alone, uh, two years. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like 15 a year. Are you, and, and so by my um, my math, <laughs> which is always suspect, but um, I, I think that you probably have to have sent out about at least 150 pitches over the last two or three years to get to land that. Maybe in my math, based on the the ratios that I've been tracking with my own kind of, I figure it's a ten percent acceptance rate. So, what is your process of getting it out? Do you have a set <laughs> submission schedule? Um, I refer to Chelsea, the submission queen, clamor, and uh, she sent out like a hundred things a month. So, um, what is your schedule like in terms of getting it out? Wow, 
I have no clue. That's that is an awesome question, Keisha. I have no idea. I've never thought about it like that. And your numbers right now just scared me. Um <laughs> because I've never thought about it like that. I don't know because I'm all, I'm never not writing. It's scary. I'm never not writing in my head. I'm never not thinking about essays. I'm never not pitching in my head. You know what I mean? It's just like it's like this constant cycle. Um so I don't know. I mean, um, like I said, pitching is exciting to me. I mean, obviously landing a piece is better, but um, but the process of pitching is exciting. It's just um, I, I, I love it. And so I've never really sat down and thought, like, how many pitches, you know, I wanted to do in a certain day, week, or, or how many I've actually done. And you, like I said, you just give me a number that's kind of crazy. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know. I can't really answer that question because I don't know. I just, um, wow. <laughs> I, I, I can't. And let me just say this too, with the number of publications that you mentioned, um, you know, it's probably it's probably more more like 20 that are with uh publications that people are mostly, you know, more familiar with, I should say. Um you know, there might be a few there that you know, they might not recognize, but still. Just mm-hmm. just throwing that there. Just throwing that out there. But it it is it is it's a, it's a, it's an awesome number and I'm I'm I feel very very fortunate. I feel very fortunate because because um, I am still considered a young a young writer, you know, I really mm-hmm. am, and um, it, I am very, very fortunate, very grateful. So thank you. Mm. Mm. So um, I let's t- transition to uh, uh, some of your latest publications. Again, I shouted you out in the inaugural Behind the Prose newsletter. Yes, you did. Um, and, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I shared a portion of it email conversation that we had and if you didn't get that email you should go to behindthepros.com and sign up for the email list because there are going to be a lot of cool things coming on it no spam i promise but uh <laughs> in this publication shout out um i took a clip of our email conversation that we had and you say last week was the best week of my writing career i published four pieces back to back starting with the salon piece over the next three days, Yahoo Parenting ran three pieces of mine for their hashtag No Shame Parenting series. Then on Friday, while I was happily fooling around on Twitter, I see my own words. The New York Times had posted my piece from July. An adult stepson moved back in. And then I get a mention later that night that the New York Times editor has shared my Ebony.com piece from January. Don't read the comment. So congrats on that great week. What does it feel like to be... You know, to have to just wake up every day. Oh, I got a piece. Oh, I got a piece today. Oh, I got a piece today. Oh, here's my word. Uh, um, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out because it was so, like, okay. You know, some okay. Let me let me just say this. Sometimes you have a piece that's going to come out, and you know, okay, the piece is going to come out this day, right? So you know it. If you're like I said, I'm very emotional. If you're like me and you have the calendar, you have 27 million calendars like I am because I'm very OCD, and you have this mm-hmm. it's circled, right, so you know you fixated on that date. Um, and then sometimes you have it where you don't know. You just have a general idea, and then 
maybe the editor will tell you, okay, I'll email you when it's live, and then they forget, and then you don't. Um, then you don't actually know. So I did not know any of those pieces were coming out like that, not even not one of them. So it was a very bizarre kind of a Sunday night finding out about the salon piece and then Monday morning because I read, you know, Yahoo Parenting. Um, every day I found out by reading, the, the you know, the, the being on the site. And so by I think by Wednesday I was like, okay, this is really this is crazy. Um, it was a, it was awesome, but it was just it was like oh my gosh. And then of course, so then I'm tweeting it and I'm posting it on my Facebook and whatnot. So by Friday, I thought, okay, this has just been this has just been wonderful. Let me see, see if I can bottle this feeling. Um, but kind of almost like okay, I'm going to take a breath. So when KJ, that's the editor of um, she's the editor of, of the Motherload, um, you know, posted my piece from July, I just thought, my gosh, this is. This has to be a sign. This has to be. This has to mean something, right? Like, this is great, you know. <laughs> because how does that just happen? Um, and so, of course, I tweeted about that. And then later on, it's like, did she just find my piece from Ebony? Like, what? Like what? You know. So it just. And I and I and I felt strange because I'm like, do I tweet this? Because I in no way do I want to sound like I'm bragging. Because there's always that line when you're sharing good news. Um, that you don't want to cross, like you're sharing it, but you don't want to sound like you're bragging, but yet it, it's such a wonderful thing you do want to share, and you have all these wonderful people that support you, your followers your followers on Twitter, you know, you you want, and, and the people that have supported you since you first started, there's just a fine, like, I don't know. So I just was like, oh, my gosh. So on Saturday, um I almost, when I woke up, I almost kind of like, okay, what's going to happen today? You know, on one hand, I'm thinking, what's going to happen today? Cause, and then on the other hand, I'm like, well, should I be expecting something to happen today? But something's happened every other day, you know, so it was kind of like a weird kind of a feeling, um, but at the same time, a relief. So I guess I just said all that to say that it was amazing, and I'm kind of making a joke because earlier I said that word was overused. Um <laughs> Callback, yeah, people. That's a callback. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just just wonderful. I mean, just like like I said, I couldn't pay for that. I could not have asked anyone. I couldn't have planned. You know, like yeah, it, it, it's just I've never mm-hmm. updated my bio in my life like I had to update it recently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if awesome. this were a different if this were a different show, I would ask you about the idea of not feeling like you're bragging and that is that something that maybe women have uh trouble with? Uh is it something that maybe even more so women of color have trouble with that that why do we feel this notion that oh, you shouldn't promote yourself or you shouldn't say, "Oh, I had this I worked hard and this is the result." But this is not that show. Okay, so, not that show. You should get another show, I'm Keisha. Mo- <laughs> I'm going to move on from that, I guess, unless you feel particularly compelled to respond. <laughs> yeah, No, I mean, but, I, well, I'll just say, I'll just say because I did kind of feel that way. You know, I did, I did kind of feel that way, like, you know, how would I feel if I were someone else looking at this? Would I be like, okay, enough already, Sharice, like, 
you know, after Wednesday, like, okay, but at the same time, how, I don't know how often does that happen? Has that happened before? Like, you know, should I'm, but, but I'm not going to not post it. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, I'm still paying for my, my, my education at the new school. I don't know how long I'm going to be mm-hmm. paying for that. You know, I'm just saying, so like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take this. And when they tweet it, I'm going to tweet it, retweet it and keep retweeting it. Like what? Like it's not every day that the New York Times editor, you know, just happens mm-hmm. upon your stuff and and gives you a shout out, and it's not something that you even posted with them. Like this is not normal, and it's not normal for mm-hmm. me. So I'm gonna do it. You know, what I mean? <laughs> then I get yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, so it's, hmm. it's I'm still I'm still kind of on that high. I get mm-hmm. very excited about my work, and then I get. Um, and then I get, again, I get emotional about it because, you know, it goes back to kind of like that military mom piece, not just being in a place where I feel a little bit like still kind of should I be here. It goes back to that high school dropout in me. You know, all of that stuff is still very, very much right there, you know, just right there. So um, that self-doubt and that can I do that, did I do that, how am I doing that, it's always right there for me. So, mm. yeah, there you go. You another um, show. <laughs> I, I know. I've actually been thinking about it, and I'm like, don't you have enough to do? <laughs> but <they're> like, <laughs> uh, um, so I'll invite you back for the other show. <laughs> talk about that. But that's why I write these pieces. That's why a piece like the No Shame Parenting piece about being on welfare, you know what I mean? And the, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I write that people write to me about and say, you're so brave and you're so brave, it's like, you know, I don't know if I'm brave. I just know that I've been through some stuff and there are people out there that can relate and that there are people that are still out there struggling and that they need to know there's another side or that there's just people that have been through it, you know, um, and it's it's okay, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I write. Um, in the piece that you're, you you mentioned the the first piece that was in the mother load section of the New York Times. Um, a military mom goes back to school, and then your second one, um, that went out in this July that you were talking about that just went was retweeted is an adult stepson moves in and a solid family wobbles. And I read right. those two, and then I read this recent one from Salon. Um, my mother yeah. let him rape me, then stayed to marry my dad. And the difference that I noticed in these two pieces as far as the prose, and and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, the mother load ones definitely seem shorter than the mm-hmm. salon one. And the mm-hmm. mother load ones seem like they're more in scenes, um, in and out of scenes, and less mm-hmm. sort of exposition, whereas the salon one, it feels like there is like a little bit of scene, but then more exposition and reflection. And so yes. can you explain for us, um, I guess, why that distinction is, if it's due to the style of the column and how you approached, um, how you approached, um, I guess, matching the style of the column or, or, or craft, you know, drafting and revising so it fit for each? Well, yeah, I mean, you just, you hit it. I mean, basically, like I said, with the mother load pieces, you have a smaller, uh, you know, you, you just have a, a, a smaller amount of time. You you really have to get in and get out. So they are really set around a specific 
uh, like for me, that's what I've done. Um, and that's uh, if you read the column, you kind of see uh, they're set around a specific scene, or I like to set minds around a specific scene. In salon, with salon, you do have more wiggle room and. The salon piece is, 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 it's not, that particular piece is not, but it's more like an excerpt, you know, from the book. Your book. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not an excerpt, but I'm just saying it's that the salon piece is, is, is impossible because it's like trying to take a life and condense it, you know, mm-hmm. in, um, in a short space, which really you can't do, but that's kind of what you're trying to do. You're trying to give um, a lot of information with, uh, some kind of summary at the end, like you said, with some uh, well, with some reflection, and uh, the overall theme was um, supposed to be, you know, forgiveness, right? So you're, you're trying to do a lot still with a short amount of space, but with more than what you're uh, allowed to do in the mother load. So the mother load is just, you know, here's this scene, this is what happened, and um, and uh, kind of almost this is where you're hoping to go. Um, whereas with a piece like Salon, it's like you're giving these details and a small amount of details and kind of what your hope might be, you know, or what your hope is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that, but I mean, I would love to have more more time to go into more detail um, in some of the other publications, but like I said, you really have to write for you have to give them what it is that their their column allows for, and so uh, the the piece for salon, um, and, and if you and you read the salon essays, you know you just you're allowed that that time and space. Um, I don't know that a scene would work. You, there's no there's no one scene or even several scenes that I could do uh, mm-hmm. to, to give the kind of information that I was trying to convey in the salon piece. You know, it has to be done in exposition um, with just the one scene or maybe the, you know, the one that we chose for the top, you know what I mean, just to kind of give that background and then go into uh, the story a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's the best way to to try to answer that question. Um, and so I did pick up on that when I was reading the Salon piece, and and um, what you said, the opening sentence or the opening line, which I think in general, at least in the few pieces that I've read of yours so far, you tend, you tend to sort of start in scene, um, whether it's yeah. at the grocery counter or um, at the, you know, that your mom, can I go out or whatever, can I have $20 or whatever it is. Um, you start in right. scene, you right. start in dialogue. Um, right. And so I guess, the question is how um, intentional is that in general on your part? Uh, is it, you, you know what I mean? Are you doing that on revision or is it just something naturally that happens? Um, normally, <laughs> excuse me, normally yes, because, you know, for me personally, that's how I like to start because it, to me when I read something, that's normally what, what grabs my attention, you know, Um like what? Like what? What's what's going on here? What this? That's what that's what gets me into it. Um, and so it, it's it's just a way of grabbing. I think grabbing the reader's attention. They know without giving them a whole whole lot what what what's about.
about to happen or what is happening. You're bringing them right into it and then giving them the story or giving them the background, you know, or whatever. Um, so, I mean, it's not, I don't always do it, um, but especially when there's a shorter amount of time, I think it's effective, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in particular with, like, the mother load, you know, when you have that shorter window, I think it's, I think it can be very effective because you're setting it right off the bat and, and they know what's expected or, or what's coming, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to start in scene, you know. I know, um, I remember, I, I think it was at Gotham, I'm not sure, um, I remember hearing somewhere that that was not the way to go, you know, that you don't want to start where people don't know who you're talking about and what's going on. But, um, you mm. know, for me personally, I, I, I like it, you know, and I like mm-hmm. to read pieces that way because it's just like, ooh, I, you know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because I like drama. You know, it's like, ooh, this is juicy. You know, what's going on mm-hmm. here? <laughs> um, I, but that's just me. I think that might speak to a little bit of, you know, how maybe people in general do read something. Like when we read something that's a dialogue, we're automatically assigning, like, characteristics or faces or, you know, places in our head to what is happening. Um, Yeah. So you said that for the salon piece, you, and it's talking, it's obviously, you know, an extreme, heavy you know, tragic topic that you're talking about. And then you reference people who, you know, email you and tell you, you know, you're so brave for bringing this forward. And the salon piece, you start like right in the middle of this heavy topic. Um, And you just said earlier that you guys kind of decided that this is where you would start. So I'm going to read it and then tell me a little bit about how you guys chose to uh, how much, I guess, in the editing process of this piece did you go back and forth with the editor and what advice did she give you for crafting, saying, oh, start here? Um, so the first line is uh, a dialogue. Daddy said we need to take more pictures for my photo shoot in your bedroom last week, and then he got on top of me. I told my mother on the bus ride home from the mall, breaking into tears. I was 13. Okay, well... I can I can tell you that for that again that is um there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of back and forth on that piece. Um mm-hmm. the editor from Salon really really liked that piece. Um she I believe when she first read it she thought that it was a beautiful story and um and she she didn't have a whole lot of um she 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 really didn't have a whole lot. There was not there was not a lot of back and forth. Um, mm. Yeah, there there really wasn't. I've been working on that for a long time, years, and it's because it's it's a very tough topic, it, and it doesn't matter how many times I edit it. It's it's always going to be tough, um, and so. You know, I think she just, the only um, advice, if you will, was, you know, ending it um, where we did, you know, in a in a, in a a forgiving, um, you know, kind of gracious place because mm-hmm. that's always where I wanted the piece to end. And um, 
it's it's difficult because people take what they want from that piece, but the piece really is about forgiveness. And so um, it's one of the reasons why I um, chose the picture that I submitted to go along with it and, you know, some of the other things. So the, so the, the byline is, is difficult. Um, but there was not a lot of back and forth. Um, the editor is wonderful, and she was very, very um, gracious. But there was not a lot of back and forth. There, she, she really took the piece that I submitted and, um, and published it, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking, but if you, had an, if you had another question about it, I can probably answer while I'm gathering my thoughts here. Um, I was, and then I, 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 I lost it as I was listening to you. I was trying to hold it, and I, I, I lost it. Um. Oh, I know. When you, um, you said that you were been working on this piece for years. Um, mm-hmm. how did you know that it was done? And, well, I guess one question at a time. How did you know it was done? I didn't, and I don't. <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really ever feel like a piece is done, especially something like that where I'm still living it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still living that piece. I'm still living some of those moments, and especially with something so personal. Um, you know, with my mother. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it, yeah, it, it, it's not a. It's not a matter of it being done as as it is just. I'm ready for it to be released, you know, but so how not, did you I, how did you know that it was ready to time to start pitching it then? When did you get to that point where you're like, all right, I need to start sending this out, and how did you pick salon then? Um, that's a good question. How did I pick salon? I think um being in Sue's class and um um I think at the time, I don't, I'm trying to remember if, if, if it was an, a visit or if it was another student who published there, and um, I'm not exactly sure. I think it might have been another piece that was published there, and uh, my thinking that it would be a good, a good, you know, a good home for the essay, um, trusting the editor, you know, um, but just in terms of it in terms of it being ready you know once i once i um decided that i was you know that i had healed felt like i had healed and that the story that my book was ready to be you know out there um or i was ready to start pitching the book then the individual pieces that i wanted to write or had started to write um i knew i was ready for that mm. you know if that makes sense mm. Um, and there was another piece that I published a couple of years ago that went viral, and I didn't even know it um, with Ebony. You know, once I started writing and releasing those kinds of pieces, I knew, and that was some mm-hmm. years ago, and I had been working on this piece um, since then. So I, mm-hmm. I knew, but when I say that, you know, when I just said, you know, a moment ago um, that I never know or that I'm not, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm talking out of both sides, but it's just because, like I say, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, some people write pieces after their, their parents, um, you know, have passed or, 
um, a situation is, you know, resolved or whatever, and that's just not what I'm living. But at the same time, I feel so strongly about my story and about the healing that I know um, it is doing already that it needs to be out there and it can't do the things that it's supposed to do if it's not. Mm-hmm. When, in terms of, I guess, Salon and um, New York Times and um, Washington Post, I know you said that you'll follow up with the editors. Um, were those instances where you had to follow up, or was it just like the standard, um, I don't want to say standard, were those instances, instances where you had to follow up with them? Um, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Uh, for Salon and like the New York Times, were those instances that you had to follow up with the editors after you pitched your article? You said, were there instances? Yeah, were those examples of times, like, did you have to go back to the New York Times editor and say, hey, I sent this piece, just checking on, you know, and for Salon as well? Um, for, so for, for Salon, for this piece, no. Um, for mm-hmm. New York Times, the first time, yes. Um, and the, 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 this with, um, with New York Times, the first time, I thought it was a great story. I think, um, Sue used to like to tell the story in her class because she used to use it as an example of following up. I think when I first pitched them, um, I had just assumed that they weren't interested because it had been months before, um, you know, months I hadn't heard from them. And then Mm -hmm. I followed up, I think, twice. And on the second follow-up, I finally heard back. And it was just one of those things where, you know, she had um, not forgotten but, you know, was just bombarded and it was that third follow-up that she got back to me and told me she wanted to run my piece, and that was that first, that third piece. I mean, that wow. first piece um, on the third follow-up. So, you know, it was just it just taught me that you know because I take things so personally sometimes that you know <laughs> you really can't take things personally, and and the editors are just so busy, and you know they might not see it the first time, or you know there's just so many reasons. Um, that your work might not get to them or it might slip by them or whatever. You can't even imagine what the reasons might be, but um, but you really do have to follow up. And it might be more than once. I, I have a lot of people contacting me asking me um, how to follow up, when should they follow up, you know, all kinds of different questions. And and um, there's just no there's no formula to it. You know, if you really want to to publish, especially at a specific place or with a specific editor, you know, you kind of have to make that decision for yourself. You know, mm. how much do you want to do it, um, and 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 kind of just go from there. So, I wouldn't have thought um, that third time would have done it, but it it did, and it turns out she was really interested. You know, and mm. and it got me my first clip in in uh, the New York Times. So, I I, I follow up. <laughs> I think that's encouraging um, because I think many people, you know, myself included, I interpret no response as no. Um, and many times through the years probably has been the case, but <laughs> on some other yeah. occasions, maybe on things that I really care about or, you know, I think, oh, maybe this, maybe you feel that, oh, this is really a good match. Um, right. The person should kind of, you know, writer should take the initiative to follow up with the editor yeah, I just, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things you just don't know because it, it could just be a no, it could just be that simple, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I just think that, you know, what's, what's really the harm? 
because even if because to me it's about building relationships, you know what I mean? Because the peace it might not be that peace that time, but what's the harm in trying to build the relationship? If you know if it's if it's if it's a publication or sometimes you're building the relationship with the editor, you know, cuz they move. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I just don't I just don't see what's the harm, you know, um but I mean I know a lot of people that feel or have felt the way that you do in terms of, you know, if someone doesn't respond then that's your answer type thing. You know. Um but for me I just don't see I don't see the harm in following up. Mm-hmm. If if it's if it's a piece that you feel strongly about or um a place that you really want to see your work then and that's really what I tell people when they and, and, the, and the ironic thing is people that have come to me for advice about that, I always see their work end up where they want it. <laughs> so mm. try it. So Salon, which is a place you wanted to be in, the new editor um, of the life section, um, Kim Brooks, um, she yeah. has a novel coming out, The House Guest, and I actually reached out to her. She's going to talk to me um, later in November, and we're going to talk about, like, what her work at Salon, and we're going to talk about the um, your piece. Um, but what was it like when you got the acceptance email from Kim? You know, you? it was it was it was almost like it was it was I don't because she it was it was almost like you know waiting for so long for something and then it happens and then you almost kind of don't believe it you know what I mean mm-hmm. um definitely definitely exciting but it was almost like until I see it on the site <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> kind of like I can't even believe this um mm-hmm. but she was she was so she was she was just she is such a nice person and she was so um she just seemed to be so moved by my piece you know and just so i don't even know what the word is i i was i was very excited i was very excited and very willing you know to work with her um and you know i'm open to suggestions and comments and whatever but like i said she really didn't have um she really didn't have a whole lot so I I I was like, okay, I think that's a good thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> um but it was it was it was it was just like, wow, this is this is something that I really wanted. I really wanted to be published here, you know, and um and now it looks like that's going to happen. So now, I was very You know, very Sorry. I get I get so excited when people are talking. I sort of think, wait. Um, you know, you, there's something in your, in the salon piece in particular, and I think maybe I noticed it because, you know, like we talked about, you know, you really had to do a lot of exposition, exposition in this, and it's like this is a life you're trying to condense into, um, whatever this is, 1500 words or what have you. And, um, there were moments that I feel like somewhere inside of you, there's like a literary writer. Like, so there were like, you, there's one point, the one sentence you say, our two bedroom house in Northwest Pasadena had become too small with only a pink and burgundy bathroom separating us. It was summertime. And that sentence for some reason just like slowed down everything. And there's a couple other times where that happened. And I feel like, um, 
Here's a, she had thick, curly beauty salon hair and wore colorful size 12 dresses that cinched at the waist. My mom was a natural entertainer. Like, I, it, 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 there's something in this that if this were a book, I, I feel like, okay, I guess maybe the question is, no, how about what do you think of those lines that I that I just read to you? How do they speak to you in terms of your voice and craft? Well, I'm trying to think if those lines were directly from the book. Um, you know, I, that's an interesting question. I mean, you feel you feel like they're different from the majority of the piece. Is that what you're saying? Or I feel like that those lines, if I were going to read, like I feel like. So when you're when you're not like doing the exposition, which you were doing to try to get to you know to get through the piece. Like, I feel like right. you there, when you're doing, how do I say this? That, the details that you chose and the way you presented mm. them, like, even though it was a piece where you had to, like, get through exposition, just kind of, like, stopped everything and made the mm-hmm. reader, like, take in that moment and that detail. And, like, I could just see, like, the bedroom or the, the bathroom separating them and feel, like, what it was what it meant for, like, what that was trying to convey to the reader. Um, right. I, and, you know, it was very rich. So um, I wondered if you felt going in that direction in a longer in a longer work. Like, are you more literary? Do you, you see yourself doing, like, you, and I guess when I say literary, you know, I mean, like, because I'm just interviewed, actually, Scott Hess, and we, he writes uh, literary fiction. And it's really, you know, more, you know, about language and detail and scene. And I don't know, that just struck me so much. I just wondered if you see that as something that you do more of or not. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I remember um, when I was at Gotham, um, you know, in some of my critiques, you know, I would get that, you know, we need we need to see this more. You know, we need more detail. We need to see, we need to hear, we need and so I would add and then when I would add, then I would get, you know, oh, that was beautiful, you know, do more of that. Um so what happens is sometimes I forget that people want that kind of detail, you know. And so I kind of it's almost like I have to remember to put it there. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what I think that's kind of what you're speaking to. It's like I have it in my head, and I forget that the reader doesn't know. I assume that the reader knows sometimes, and of course, how how could the reader know? You know, the reader has not mm-hmm. experienced this. Um, so sometimes I, when I'm when I am like in the book, when I have more space, then mm-hmm. I'm more conscious of it. But when I'm writing a condensed piece then, you know, I don't think I have that, that room and that time to go into that because then if I start going into that, then what I'm thinking are those pertinent, like those that has to be there, um, you know, that information that just that's going to tell this, this, and this is not going to make it, you know. So I'll just mm-hmm. put like, okay, well, people need to have a visual of what she looks like. They need to have, you know, they need to have the, the the location needs to be you know something needs to let them know what this room looked like or not the room necessarily but the house or something you know and just throw that in there a couple of places boom 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 okay that's enough and then get back to the telling you know in a sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I, I do think that given more time, um, there would be more of that. But when I'm when I'm trying to do something as ambitious as what I was trying to do in that, um, uh-huh. yeah, then it's some of it gets lost. And so I think that's a real, it's a real, it's challenging. It's 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 yeah. challenging. Mhm. And I mean, I don't know if I would say that because, like you said, you know, each piece has a different purpose. I just think mm-hmm. that you know it's so awesome. Like I, I can just the way you, the the house became too small. You know, with only a pink and burgundy bathroom separating us. Like choosing those, we tell it tells us time, the color of the bathroom because we can know. Oh well, the bathrooms are this is a certain generation bathroom and what right. what the feeling has become. You know, the house has now become too small. Right. That it's just right. the way you. I don't. It's, it's something really really awesome there. So I just was curious if you know you felt that that was like you know part of your voice and, and stuff. But. So. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that I'm constantly trying to balance, but I'm not overly, and, and you can you'll probably know, I'm never overly descriptive. Like I I don't mm-hmm. just throw in stuff just to be throwing it in. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'll read things that are just it's so descriptive that I can't, like I'm lost in that. You know what I mean? It's just too much um, to me for my personal taste. So I'm more like to the nitty gritty type of person in terms of um what I like to read but um but you know hearing you say that um you know I mean I can appreciate that because I did put that in there for that purpose because I wanted someone to read that and have a sense you know just a mm-hmm. general sense of where where they were where you know I that's why I give I give the physical location I you know so you know where you are um and then a few details you know but but that was it. I didn't feel like much more was needed other than that mm-hmm. because I didn't want the readers lost in that. I wanted them to just be in, um, you know, in the essay, in the telling of this story of what happened. And then the voice, too, is is in between a younger person and, you know, an adult you know, because mm-hmm. when I'm telling my when I'm telling my mother what happened, you know, I'm young. You know, the scene at the mm-hmm. beginning is a young person telling, um, and then it goes into an older person describing um, the life, if you will. So there's a lot in there. <laughs> there's a lot in that essay. And in terms of your writing process. I know you said that you're always writing in your head um, and kind of observing and thinking. Do you have a set schedule when you actually sit down to physically write? Um, most of the time, I'm 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 a morning person, so I I'm best in the morning. So typically, um, sometimes I'll I'll write a little bit before I get my kids up. It just kind of depends. But most of the time, once I get them off to school, um, you know, my writing day is typically like from, you know, 8.30 till definitely until they get home around 3-ish, and then I pick it back up again, you know, sometime after that. It just really de- it really depends on them. Um, mm-hmm. But de- but definitely during those hours and then again, you know, like after dinner or whatever, where I'm actually at the computer, you know, writing. But, I mean, it gets so bad sometimes where, you know, writing will wake me up. I don't need an alarm, Um because something will just be in my head. It's like I have to get this down, whether I put it on my phone or my 50 million Post-it notes. You know, every time I see Being Mary Jane, I laugh because I have Post-it <laughs> I notes like that. 
<laughs> you know, it's like I can't lose this. I can't rely on my memory. Um, my short-term memory, long-term memory is awesome, but um, I need to write this down, whether it's a title. And essays sometimes to me come by titles. You know, I'll come up with this title, and then I'll write the essay around it. So, um, so yeah, but, but the physical mm-hmm. sitting down normally happens, you know, in a five- to six-hour stretch during the day. Mm-hmm. And then after, after that. Now, when I was in at, at, um, at the new school, I did most of my writing. I would come home so jazzed, like from Sue's class. Like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I didn't go to bed until like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning because I had that crazy three-hour commute coming home. Um, but I could never write on the train. So once I would get home, it would be like 1 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And then I could not get stuff out of my head, so I would write then you know mm. um so it you know kind of depends on what's going on with my life but definitely in the daytime definitely when the kids are and I get so annoyed when it's holidays like <laughs> I was tweeting about that I think on Monday like I need for people to be gone out of the house so I can work so yeah <laughs> do you what's your editing process like now do you have to put a piece away before you can go back to it um or or what um, I'm trying to get better at that. I get so frustrated because I try to do it all in one sitting and it just doesn't work. Like, and I need to just, I need to stop. Um, so I'm like, no, no, I can do it. I can wear both hats and I can't. So, um, I'm trying to start to do that now, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I, I think people, I think people that write that have been like reporters and stuff before, I think they have such an advantage because they know how to write, number one, much faster and then be their own editors. Whereas like me, you know, it's it's much harder, first of all, to be objective about my own work and then um, and to write um, and then put something, I mean, and, you know, write on the fly. Sometimes when I'm trying to like, you know, get a, if I get an assignment or something like that, um, I have to do that. I have to be able to write and edit and do all that. I don't have that luxury of being able to put something down and go back to it. Um, so it's kind of I'm kind of doing both things right now. But when I'm just crafting pieces that I want to write, then yeah, I'll write it and then put it down for a day or two. You know, go back to it, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm and I'm I'm much better. Mm. I, I want to ask you as one of my last questions, if you were a superhero, what would your writing for power be? Well, let's say, um, yes, if you're, you're a superhero, what would your writing superpower be? Oh, man, I thought you were going to give me something easy, like who would I be? I just want to know what would my writing superpower be? <laughs> I don't care about that. <laughs> oh. That's too easy. Okay, what would my writing superpower be? Yeah, what's an your actual, writing superpower? Like, what do you feel actual, you do really? Yeah. yeah, right now in your work, what do you feel you do really well? What's your superpower? Like, what's your superpower? Well, then that's no, no not what do I feel I do really well. If I want a superpower, then it's something I need to improve on, right? No, it's like you right now. You're a superhero. You are a superhero. Huh. Like literally, <laughs> to many people with your publication, oh, what's your I don't writing feel like... power? This okay, so this probably goes back to the other show that I don't have time to do about the bragging because I see some resistance from you. You're a superhero well, now. You have I don't... all these. <laughs> okay, um, you have these okay. great clips, right? New York Times, 
Salon, Los Angeles Review, Washington Post. That's a superhero. What is your superpower? Gosh. Um, All right. Let me think about this. What is my (laughs) superpower? Writing my truth. Mm. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Drop the mic I and mean, walk I, away. Because I, I wanted, yeah, because I wanted to be like, I wanted to be Wonder Woman with my invisible jet. And you ask me something else, <laughs> like, <laughs> <sighs> yes, writing my truth. Mm. Thank you, Sharice Tracy, for joining me on Behind the Pearls today. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Can we do that other show now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a, have your people call my people. No, but I'm serious. We should. I should get that going. <laughs> I'll invite you back. <laughs> this, this has Thank been awesome. So Thank you so much. Thank Best you. of luck to you, and you are welcome back when you get that deal for that memoir. When I get it, it will be all over Twitter land. Trust me. Yes. I absolutely believe she's going to get that deal for that memoir, don't you? Make sure that you're following her at Sharice Tracy on Twitter. I have got her um, link to her Twitter account on the show page, as well as links to some of her essays. You can go back and read them and then go back and look at, listen to some of the things that we talked about. And uh, Sharice, again, you are welcome back when you get that deal. Coming up in a few weeks on Behind the Pros, I have an interview with Denty W. Moore about his memoir, Between Panic and Desire. I have an interview that was recorded live with students in my article writing class with Jessica Contrera, who's a writer at the Washington Post. Um, I do have an interview potentially scheduled with an editor of one of the pieces of Sharice's that we just talked about. So, hmm, who could that be, you're wondering? Plus, I still got this exclusive stuff from the Creative Nonfiction um, the Creative Nonfiction Conference in May. I have uh, panel discussions. I'm going to bring you a compilation episode. And we've got Denty Moore's exclusive presentation. So, that's the word of the day. Exclusive. I'm going to hook you up. Behind the Pros, make sure that you're following me on Twitter at Behind the Pros and subscribing on iTunes as well. Well, that brings us to another episode of Behind the Pros, the close of another episode. Behind the Pros music is by UK artist Redvers West Boyle. You can find him, you know where, SoundCloud. The show is hosted and produced by me, Keisha Whitaker, from a maroon recliner that used to belong to an old lady, but she's dead now. Until next time, listen, learn, and write. Listen, learn, and write.